Yo, this is Axel Rose of Guns N' Roses. Hey, this is Carmen Electra. Hi, this is Daryl Strawberry. What up, though? This is Big Snoop Deal Double G. Hi, this is Don Stallion. Hey, yo, Hulk Hogan here. What's up? This is Beyonce. I got a great show lined up for y'all. Hey, yo, yo, yo. Let's get this party started. The Sports Beat. You know what? Let's keep it hot. The Sports Beat is off the chain, man. Ah, yeah. The Sports Beat. Download the podcast now. You're listening to The Sports Beat with Richard Holdridge. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to yet another episode of the Sports Beat with Richard Holdridge, presented by Georgia Alabama Sports Live. Happy Tuesday. I hope that everybody is enjoying their Tuesday. We have got a great show for you. I'm going to have two guests on the show. I'm going to have my opening monologue, and then I'm going to bring on my guest. My first guest is a host of a podcast called Craning Company. He is a national sports personality out of Daily Wire up in Nashville, Tennessee. And it is none other than Jake Crane. He is going to come on the show to talk about the NFL playoffs. And then I will have one of the biggest legends in Columbus when it comes to covering sports. Has been covering sports in the Fountain City since 1985. It's none other than Dave Plata. He is coming on the show to talk about minor league baseball in Columbus. I am so excited about this show. I got two great guests. Let's go ahead and get this show started. This is episode 776, just in case you're keeping score at home. And next week, I will have my two-year anniversary of being on WQEE. And also, it will be my four-year anniversary that I have had this podcast as I approach my 800th episode. On tomorrow's show, I'm going to have Gabe Reynolds as we will talk everything that's going on in the world of sports. And then I also will have the George Alabama Sports Live Show with Thrift Berger, special guest Bobby Z. Matt Austin is coming on the show on Thursday to preview the NFC Championship game between the San Francisco 49ers and the Detroit Lions. The AFC Championship game is the Kansas City Chiefs at the Baltimore Ravens. I will get into the NFL Conference Championships the Falcons coaching search, all these players from Alabama entering the transfer portal to include Caleb Downs and the number one recruit at quarterback, Julian Sayan. It is just a wild, wild west when it comes to the transfer portal and they don't have any guardrails. Don't forget, tonight on Georgia Alabama Sports Live, we have got, in my opinion, the biggest rivalry in Columbus, Brookstone and Pacelli. That is going to be at the land. Huge rivalry game, and you can hear it on Georgia-Alabama Sports Live. That is just going to be so incredible. Some of the other games going on. Columbus is on the road taking on the Golden Tornadoes of Monroe. Carver, after losing to Monroe Friday night, they are on the road taking on Doherty. You got a big rivalry game up at the county. Northside taking on Harris County. Remember, these are boys and girls games. Spencer is at Kendrick. You got Smith Station taking on Auburn. Glenwood is on the road up in Lynette, Alabama, taking on Springwood. Central is taking on Opelika. And Russell County is hosting the Hardaway 
Hawks and Lady Hawks. And also don't forget that we also have Glenwood Lee Scott Academy that you can catch on Georgia Alabama Sports Live on Thursday. And then Friday we have a very special doubleheader. Two big region games. First, the Hardaway Hawks are hosting the Surrett Makers of Cairo. Thrift Barons, you will have the call on Georgia Alabama Sports Live. I will be back at the School on the Hill for a big region rivalry game between the Columbus Blue Devils and the Carver Tigers. I'm so excited to be a part of Georgia Alabama Sports Live. And also, we will have a special announcement about Baseball Media Days that is going to be held on February the 4th. And also, we are 22 days away from the four greatest words that a baseball fan could ever hear. Pitchers and catchers report. I'm excited about that as well. Well, I think it's about time to go ahead and take a break. And when we come back, I'm going to have Jake Crane, and then I will get Dave Plata here on the Sports Beat. You don't want to go anywhere. It's the Sports Beat with Richard Holdridge, presented by Georgia Alabama Sports Live, and we will be right back. Active Pest Control offers the best services and prices to protect your home, offering both monthly and quarterly pest control services, plus specific services like bed bugs, German roach, and flea control. Even if you can't see them, insects are all around you 24-7. Active Pest Control wants to be the first line of defense. Active Pest Control. Repair. Bond. Best termite coverage around. Active Pest Control. 34 Jefferson Street, Noonan. 770-954-9941. It's the best in sports and entertainment. And get locked in and locked down with Rhino Radio Penitentiary, 7 a.m. to 10 a.m. with your host, me, Ryan O'Neill, each and every morning, right here with the best in sports and entertainment, all the way from professional sports to college sports to River Dragons hockey and everything in between, including some of the very best local and national guests. It's the Rhino Radio Penitentiary, 7 a.m. to 10 a.m., Monday through Friday, right here on 99.1 FM WQEE. After a few drinks, I'm taking it slow. Well, you're not fooling the cop behind you. What? Get ready to pay in point one miles. <sighs> Getting pulled over for buzz driving could cost you around $10,000 in fines, legal fees, and increased insurance rates. Nothing kills a buzz like getting pulled over for buzz driving, because buzz driving is drunk driving. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Tune in each Sunday morning right here on WQEE 99.1 FM for the key for help from a high with Bishop Daniel Hardaway Sr. of Redemptive Life Worship Center at 9 a.m. Hear the Word of God and soak it in. You can join us for our live Sunday service at 10 o'clock a.m. till 12.30 p.m. at Redemptive Life Worship Center at 2265 Highway 54 in Marlin, Georgia. Have a blessed week. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to yet another episode of the Sports Beat with Richard Holdridge, presented by Georgia Alabama Sports Live. I'm excited about this show because I've got a very special guest. He is a national sports talk show host. I'm a huge fan of his. He's a host of a show called Crane & Company. You can catch on Daily Wire Sports. 
And uh, he is kind enough to join the sports beat and talk a little bit about the NFL playoffs. Please welcome to the show Jake Crane from Crane & Company. Richard, what is up, man? Shout out Columbus, Georgia. Uh, glad to be joined, uh, joining you, and, and what a crazy time in sports. Absolutely. And really, the podcast, I cover a lot of local stuff to Columbus, Georgia. I call high school football games. And I want to let you know, you, you played at Opelika. I called an Opelika Smith Station game, and I wanted to make sure that I gave you a shout out. Hey, I appreciate that, man. Yeah, I, I tell you what, growing up in uh, East Alabama and Lee County, I've played more baseball tournaments in Columbus, Georgia than probably anybody on the face of the earth. Uh, Love that city. Um, and, and every time we went there, it, it was always special. And uh, no, man, I mean, Opelika, not, not a lot of people. Everybody knows about Auburn. Not as many people know about Opelika. It's the sister city. And look, we were better than Auburn High School when I was there. So uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll leave it at that. Absolutely. Well, Jake, I'm excited to have you on the show. Uh, we had some incredible divisional round games. Just a lot of truths came out. We got some conference championships coming up. We'll preview that shortly. But let's go ahead and start with the game that ended late last night. The Kansas City Chiefs get the job done in Buffalo. I picked the Bills to win this game. But there's just something about a heart of a champion. And it seems like the Kansas City Chiefs, they don't have a number one receiver. They've struggled in the regular season. And they're going on the road. Patrick Mahomes' first road playoff game. But they get it done. It's like when they get into the postseason, everything clicks. And, you know, you've got Isaiah Pacheco running all over the field. And really, they had Buffalo on the ropes. And I thought Buffalo was going to win the game because of that fumble out of the end zone by Miko Hardman. But in your mind, did the Chiefs win this game or did the Bills lose it? You know, I, I think the Chiefs won it. I'll say this, Richard, I was right there with you. You know, the biggest hump that the Bills have, have tried to get over, it seems like for the last 30 years, but it's only really been the last three or four, is the Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, whether they, they play them at home or on the road, I think that was a similar game to what we'd have gotten if it was in Kansas City. To be honest with you, that's how tight both of these teams are. I mean, heck, this game uh, last year changed the overtime rules in the playoffs. That's how tight it was and how big it was. But when you go back and watch, and and, you know, we talk a lot about Winners win and losers lose at the end of the day. And and you you have to give it up for the Chiefs. I can make the argument this year that the Chiefs roster is worse than the one they had last year that won the Super Bowl. And yet here Patrick Mahomes is again. And if you're the Bills, you finally get him at home. You're playing your best ball of the year. We know it started out rocky in Buffalo. And, and you kind of felt like the football gods were smiling on the Bills after they fake a punt to DeMar Hamlin. The Chiefs fumble the ball to go up two scores through the back of the end zone. Then the Bills fumble on third down when Josh Allen scrambles. And miraculously, thanks to Dalton Kincaid's hustle, they're able to recover it. And then they hit the next play on fourth and five. But I made this comparison. To me, the Buffalo Bills, they're just awful test takers. They can't pass the final. They're great in the midterm. They'll knock a pop quiz out of the park. But it seems like when they get to the final exam, which the last three to four years has been the Chiefs. I'm not even talking about the Super Bowl. They find a way to fail it. And I thought Josh Allen was good in some aspects last night. I thought there was some stuff underneath that he should have taken, especially late in the game that he didn't because he was trying to force feed it down the field, even though Kansas City wasn't too high. But I think the Chiefs, at the end of the day, have that DNA in them. And if you look at the second-half adjustments, by the Chiefs' defense. Everybody talks about Patrick Mahomes. Everybody talks about their lack of wide receivers, but Travis Kelsey's able to help them, and Pacheco this, Pacheco that. This has been a defensive team all year. I don't think they've given up double-digit points in the second half 
in like the last nine or 10 games. So when it comes to the adjustment game, the Kansas City Chiefs are winning halftime. And people talk a ton about the game plan going in. We don't talk enough about the the adjustments that go on during the game, which is where the game is really won. So I, I, I do think the Chiefs won it. If you're a Bills fan, I, it just feels like, again, at the end of the day, you're going up against Pennywise, and he just feeds on your fear and desperation and sadness. Uh, you got to give it up to the Chiefs. They know What has Mahomes won? Six in a row in the playoffs now? Something like that? That doesn't happen by accident. That's not a mistake or a coincidence. Winners win, losers lose. People wanted to bury the dynasty, but they just won't go away. And I'm looking forward to seeing the Chiefs taking on the Ravens. And the Baltimore Ravens started the divisional round uh, getting a decisive win over the Houston Texans. But you got to give credit to D'Amico Ryans and C.J. Stroud. They had this game 10-10 going into the third quarter. But Lamar Jackson did what he did best. Two touchdown passes, two touchdown runs. And even though the, the Ravens are a slight favorite over the Chiefs in the AFC Championship, I just think that the Ravens are probably the most complete team out of the four remaining. Would you agree? I, I would say them and the 49ers, if we're going to talk about all three phases. And I think one of the phases that's not talked about enough is the special teams unit for the Ravens. You have, Justin Tucker's not missing that field goal against the Chiefs. He's the greatest kicker of all time. That's going to come to fruition at some point. It's going to be on Justin Tucker's shoulders, and that's the guy you want out there making the game-winning kicks or the game-tying kicks. But it's hard to pick against Patrick Mahomes, right? But when you look at the Ravens, and you said it best, they are a complete team. How do you take down a monster like Patrick Mahomes? You overwhelm him with versatility. You overwhelm him with balance. He only plays on one side of the ball. You have to be able to corner him. We talk about this all the time when you have sudden death or playoffs. We talk about it in March Madness. The teams that not only survive but thrives in a sudden death winner-take-all playoff format are the teams that are the most complete because they can win in the most ways. I've watched the Ravens win shootouts. I've watched the Ravens win rock fights because the honest-to-God truth, Richard, is offense comes and goes, right? There are games where the offense, I don't care if it's the Golden State Warriors with Clay Thompson, with Steph Curry, sometimes the three's just not falling. So when the three's not falling, can you still win a game in the 60s in basketball? Can you still win a game in the low 20s and the teens in football? The Ravens can do that. They can make up for maybe not playing well on one side of the ball and let the other two phases take over. That's kind of the weakness of the Chiefs to me. We haven't seen a ton of balance. But when you look at the Texans, I think the Texans and the Packers were the, and you could maybe make an, an argument for the Buccaneers because nobody really expected them to do anything. But you really feel like the Texans and the Packers were playing with house money during the playoffs, which that's dangerous in its own right. I mean, there were not a lot of expectations for the Packers to do what they did to the Cowboys. They played free. One team looked tight. One team looked loose. You go back to the Texans and the Browns. Both those teams haven't been in the playoffs in, in forever, so that one, you can throw that one out, out of the window. But for the Ravens to handle business, especially early when the Texans looked like they were going to be in it, like, here we go. It's another game where C.J. Stroud's going to step up. The Ravens have a chance to put the foot on the throat and take you out. They're going to do it every single time. And that's the mark of a mature team. That's the mark of a dominant team. That is the mark of a team that understands when to say when. So when I look at this matchup and kind of – project what I think is going to happen. You're not going to see a blowout on either side of the ball. But at some point, 
the linebacking core from the Ravens are going to stop Pacheco in the run game. And it's going to come down to Patrick Mahomes being able to create inside the pocket and outside of the pocket. And I just think the Ravens are too deep defensively and they're too good offensively for the Chiefs to play the way that they've been playing outside of the last couple games, really, and go in there and win. Because again, Baltimore is not an easy place to play. I coached against Navy up in Annapolis, which is pretty close to Baltimore. That weather's weird up there, man. The fog's weird. It's just, it's a... It's a field of dreams, cornfield in Iowa in the morning situation. It's just different. It's hard to explain. But uh, it should be a heck of a matchup. I can't wait for that. And let's talk about the NFC. Saturday night, we had the Green Bay Packers, who were a 10-point underdog to the 49ers. And from start to finish, it seemed like until that last drive by Brock Purdy, this game was dominated by the Packers. Everything was going wrong for the 49ers. Debo Samuel goes out with the injury. They're a different team. It's raining, and Brock Purdy is just not the same quarterback. He can't throw the wet ball. And Jordan Love looked spectacular despite the two interceptions. He threw some dimes, and Aaron Jones ran the football. I'll be honest with you, Jake, when the Packers were up 21-17 to and the 49ers had him pinned back at the 10, that big run by Aaron Jones, I thought the game was over. I thought that the Packers had this game won. They miss a chip shot field goal, and then Brock Purdy had the drive of his career. He didn't have a great game, but he did have a good drive, and the 49ers survive in advance. They did play terrible. I don't think they play terrible against Detroit. I think the weather is going to be better next week. But in the situation like this, how confident are you? If you're a Packers fan, do you feel demoralized, or do you feel optimistic that this is a young team that is going to come back next year? Well, look, if you're, if you're a Packers fan and you're not optimistic about it looking like they were right about Jordan Love, then I don't know how to help you. But knowing Packers fans, they're able to see kind of the forest through the trees. And, and at the end of the day, that's the best way to look at it. What I was most surprised with with the Packers, because and everybody talks about the quarterback, good, bad, or indifferent, and I get that. They talk about the young wide receiving core, and I get that. But where I thought the Packers really dominated, and, and for most of the game against the Niners, was up front. That should give you the, the most pause. I mean, you look at this Niners team, the way they're put together on the offensive line and defensive line. You look at the Cowboys, the way they're put together on the offensive line and the defensive line, and the Packers were able to really do what they wanted to do, and that game went about how it had to go for the Packers to be able to win it, and they weren't able to pull it off. And I do think you got to give credit to Brock Purdy for that last drive, being able to figure it out. At the end of the day, I guarantee you, Josh Allen would much rather be sitting where Brock Purdy's sitting coming off a close win than the way it went down for the Bills uh, against the Chiefs. But I'll say this. It goes back to the point I just made. The Niners didn't play well, and you got to give flowers to the Packers. And they won, Richard. That's the difference. Because this, I don't see the Niners playing that bad again. There's always that one game. And I, I love to use the NCAA tournament as a reference for this. How many times? And, and I'll, t- I'll take it home. I'll give you Auburn for an example. The final four run. They beat New Mexico State in the first round by one point. One point. Guy missed a wide-open three, airballed it at the end of regulation. What does that Auburn team do? They make a run all the way to the Final Four. Sometimes you got to win ugly. I call it the Uncle, Uncle Fester rule. They're not all going to be Libby Duns, man. It's not all going to be great and happiness and good-looking. Sometimes it's going to be ugly. Sometimes it's going to be nasty. Right, And those are the games you have to find a way to win. Because at the end of the day, in a sudden-death playoff format, in any type of format where it's, it's win or go home, the final score, as long as you have more points than the other team, 
That's all that counts. It doesn't matter how you get there. It matters when you get there. And the Niners picked a good time to go down and score, and they survived. So sometimes, and, and they're a veteran team, but it's amazing what happens when your life flashes before your eyes a little bit. It's amazing how that'll wake you up. Not that they didn't prepare well. All these guys prepare well. This is a professional football league that they do it all day. There's no recruiting. There's no school. This is what they do. I would be shocked. I would be shocked if the 49ers put on a similar performance up front to what they did uh, against the Packers. And my question about the Lions, I think the Lions played way above their skis in the back end against the Buccaneers. I, I really do think that. I know the Buccaneers scored 23 points, but the Lions secondary is about as sketchy as, as walking in downtown New York at, at 2 a.m. right now. So when you when you look at the Lions, and even with Debo Samuels be, uh, being out, they've got more weapons than Ukraine in San Francisco right now. So I just have a hard time believing that on, on one hand, the Niners are going to play that bad again, even though they got away with it. And two, that the Lions are going to play that good on defense again, even though they got some pieces up front. Well, the 49ers, Kyle Shanahan exercised some demons as they finally win a game after being down by seven going into the fourth quarter. And also the health of Debo Samuel. It looks like he is 50-50, but I looked at the well, weather, Richard, for, weather Richard, forecast. I will, say, I will say, though, they've played a lot of games without Debo. They have been hurt a lot. So it's, again, if there was one team that could take a hit at the, at the skill position, it's the Niners for sure. And it looks like the weather forecast is going to be a little bit better. And, and I do like the 49ers' chances against the Detroit Lions. Speaking of those Lions, they got the win. First playoff divisional round game in over 30 years. They beat the Buccaneers team. First off, Jake, I want to say Baker Mayfield played very well. He played himself into a starting role with the Buccaneers in 2024. I think he played himself into a contract. He had a very good season for the Buccaneers. The Detroit Lions, I mean, what can you say about, we're familiar with Jameer Gibbs. I remember him at Georgia Tech. He played that one year at Alabama. Did they, like, get a steal there? They moved up. They drafted him really high. But he, him and David Montgomery has been a great uh, running back combo and Detroit's offensive line with Panay, Sewell, Ragno, I mean, we still don't know the health. If there's anything that Detroit has that's a flaw, that it's their secondary. They're not a very good pass defense. They could stop the run, but you give Jared Goff time. I think that the Detroit Lions actually match up well with the 49ers, but the thing is that the 49ers have seen Jared Goff when he was with the Rams, and he's not as mobile as the quarterbacks that are left in the playoffs. But uh, how do you like the Detroit Lions' chances stacking up against the 49ers? Well, look, it's going to be tough, but but regardless of what happens, what Dan Campbell, that organization, uh, the people in the front office, those players, the trainers, everybody involved, what they've done, I think it's been one of the best stories in sports uh, in a while, watching the way that city has come alive. It's funny, kind of a random stat here. Uh, back in 1991, that was the last time that the Lions played in the NFC Championship game. Uh, it was the, the same year that that the only amateur won a PGA Tour event. Happened at the same time. Well, we, we're seeing it now again. It just lets you know we live in the matrix. But when it comes down to the matchup, Jared Goff, and we call him the gumball smuggler because it looks like he's smuggling gumballs in his cheeks. That's a story for another day. But when you when you he's the guy that you go to the rec center or the Y, and there's there's guys in there playing and. It's kind of goofier. He has his socks pulled up. Looks like maybe he played at Gonzaga. And you think, oh, we're about to run these guys out of the gym. And then you then you lose. You get skunked. And you wonder what happened. He's so good fundamentally in the pocket. And what he lacks from a mobility standpoint, being able to create and improvise, 
he's able to extend the play from within the pocket, which sometimes is more dangerous when you're able to keep your eyes down the field, let the whole field develop, as opposed to rolling out to one side and cutting off half of the field. But when you look at the matchups and you look at what the Lions have, this game to me, and let's say the weather's good, is going to come down to whether the Lions can get to Brock Purdy or not. Because if they can't get to Brock Purdy, they're going to get sliced and diced in the back end. They just really are. It's the nature of the beast. It's what they're going up against. I'd be shocked if that didn't happen. But if they're able to stop the run and they're able to get Brock Purdy off his spots, I think he can make a couple mistakes. And the Lions are going to need a turnover, too, to stay in this game. A big play on special teams, something like that. Because when you look at, at, at which team is more complete, it's obviously the 49ers. they got a better roster. I, I don't think that's that's a crazy thing to say. I think most people would agree with that. They're going to have to catch some breaks. But this team, it they almost feel like a team of destiny, right? It almost feels like everything is aligning for the Lions to go in there and beat the Niners. The Niners struggled the week before. It's a feel-good story. They haven't been this excited you know, in Michigan, well, I guess since a couple weeks ago when they won the Natty. But when you look at, at, at the matchup, I just have a very hard time seeing that the, the fantasy continue for the Lions. I, I think they're going to run into a wall in San Francisco because that not as good as the Lions' offensive line's been, those guys coming off the ball for the 49ers, if they can get you in predictable passing downs, it's a nightmare. It's like walking into Mordor without the ring. You're going to die. It's just a matter of when. All right, let's talk about some uh, upcoming possible Super Bowl matchups. Uh, I know that Everybody that's outside of the San Francisco Bay Area that roots for the 49ers is going to be rooting for the Lions because it is the feel-good story. There is that audience, like like, uh, my family members who don't watch football, that only watched the Chiefs-Bills game last night because of Taylor Swift. You have that fan base that's going to want the Chiefs in the Super Bowl, but I really think it's going to be the 49ers-Ravens in the Super Bowl, and I don't think the 49ers are going to commit five turnovers like they did on Christmas. But Jake... Which intriguing Super Bowl matchup do you think America wants to see, and which matchup, realistically, do you think we're going to get? Well, you know, I think America wants to see the Lions, right? I think we can agree on that. It is the feel-good story. They've kind of swept the moniker of America's team throughout this playoff. So, So I think America wants to see the Lions in there. And look, it's a great story. The Lions are a fantastic story. But you know what else is a great story? Little Red Riding Hood was a great story. And she got eaten on the way to Grandma's house. So they're walking on to Grandma's house going to play the 49ers. I, I don't think the Lions are able to find a way. I, I look at the Chiefs again. It's hard to bet against Pennywise, a.k.a. Pat, Patty Mahomes. But I think the Ravens are the most complete team, the best team in all three phases right now in the game of football. Regardless of what America wants, regardless if you think it's scripted or not, I think we get a Ravens-Niners Super Bowl, and I think that would be such an intriguing matchup because the reason I just uh, I just mentioned, you have complete versus complete. We could have 35 different type of games with the Ravens-Niners. It could be anywhere from a high-scoring shootout to a low-scoring murder ball fest, uh, and I think you have the two best teams playing each other, uh, and that's what I think you you want in the Super Bowl. So what America may want with the Lions, and you know what? I'm not going to be upset if the Lions get in there. I'll applaud them. I'm a huge Dan Campbell fan. But at the end of the day, I think the two best teams are the Ravens and the Niners, and I think that's what we're going to get. All right, Jake, switching gears. I know you're a baseball guy. We are 23 days away from the four greatest words of every baseball, baseball fan out there. Pitchers and catchers report. 
Like I, I know that you know the Braves. They they signed Chris Sale. I think realistically he's going to be a number four starter, and I think that the Atlanta Braves, even though the Dodgers signed Shohei Itani, I still think the Braves are the favorites in the National League. I think they they got to exercise the demons of that early playoff exit to the Phillies because it seems like they lose a game, games one and games two are in Atlanta. They've got to find a way to win in Philly. I mean, do you see it? playing out where the Braves and the Phillies are probably going to meet again in the postseason? Yeah, well, I can't wait for the Braves to let me down again. I can't wait to get all excited to be let down after 162 games. But now, in, in all seriousness, it's baseball. It's it, To me, it's the hardest to bet. There's so many variables that, that, that can happen, that have to happen, that have to line up. We've had great regular seasons in Atlanta. Um, I'm kind of to the point now when the same way with Auburn basketball, the regular season's cool, but I want to see what we do in the postseason. It, it just matters that much now, and it's expected now. But yeah, look, I, I'm i very interested. You look at the Dodgers. They keep accumulating all this talent, yet they never find a way to win it. Sounds like a team from New York, but I'm not going to bring that up here. I don't want to. Uh, actually, I do want to upset my brother. The Yankees are overrated, and they always will be. But Richard, when, when I look at, at this year, and, and I look at uh, Atlanta especially. Getting Chris Sale, I, I think, is a nice ad. It's always going to come down to the pitching. I know the hitting kind of went away in the postseason against the Phillies. People were pretty upset about that. I'm not worried about the Braves lineup. It's about depth in the pitching and depth in the bullpen. But when I look at the Dodgers, at some point, and Shohei is unbelievable, but I don't believe he's pitching next year, correct? He's not going to pitch for the Dodgers coming up this season. So you do kind of cut half the mon- you do kind of cut the monster in half. But it's very, very hard to look at the Atlanta Braves and look at this roster that's been put together and not feel good about what they're going to be able to do moving forward and how young they are. I think what they did early with Ozzie Albies and Austin Riley and all these guys to be able to lock them down and keep that core going, that's going to continue to show its face. It, you just got to get by the Phillies, Richard. Can we get by the Phillies? Like, th- that's it. Just get by and we'll win it. We'll, no, no, I, I guarantee you the Braves get by the Phillies. They'll win it. Uh, but no, I man, I'm excited. It should be a great season. I just hope they don't keep changing all these rules and please stop making the bases bigger. It helps nobody. I'm excited about the Braves too, Jake. And uh, local news here to Columbus, you'd be happy to know that the Mississippi Braves are moving to Columbus in 2025. So all levels of minor league baseball are going to be in the state of Georgia. I know we're happy about minor league baseball in Columbus. It has failed in the past, but this is the first time that Columbus has had minor league baseball that was a Braves affiliate. And I think this is going to be great for the city. They're going to renovate Golden Park. They're going to put businesses around the park. And and hopefully the fans of Columbus, because Columbus is a great baseball town. I mean, you know this, Jake, from having to play those teams down in Central, Phoenix City, Columbus area. I'm hoping that we build a, a, just a baseball brand here in the Fountain City and that, that the fans will come to the ballpark. Well, man, it just seems like a perfect fit, right? I mean, you put a Braves affiliate in Columbus, Georgia, right? That's like giving Oreos to a fat kid. He's not going to not like them. I, I mean, so I, I don't see how it doesn't work. I don't want to jinx anybody or anything like that. Um, but listen, I know the state of Georgia, which I will argue till I'm blue in the face with anybody, is the best state per capita for the three major sports from a recruiting standpoint and from a passion standpoint, even though the Falcons are giving a lot of people reason not to go to the games. But again, that's that's something we'll probably touch on again at some point. But I just don't see how it doesn't work. I'm very happy for everybody in Columbus. I think they're going to show up and show out because you're getting a glimpse of the future of the team that you want to see. That, that'd be like putting a, a minor league Falcons team 
in like Athens. People are going to go watch that because it affects the team that you love. It's one thing if the Brewers have a double A team in the state of Georgia. Great, awesome, cool. Let's see what Milwaukee has. Maybe we'll trade for one of them. But when you start putting a Braves affiliate in Braves country, come on, baby. That's like syrup on waffles. Jake, it's always great having you on the show. Before I get you out of here, tell all my listeners how they can listen to Crane and Company and how they could follow you on social media. Definitely. Well, always uh, enjoy coming on, Richard. It, uh, it should be a great 2024 in the sports world. Got a lot of changes going on in college football as well. But if you want to catch Crane and Company, sports the way a sports show the way you grew up watching it, where they keep it mainly about sports, uh, go to Apple Podcasts and Spotify at C-R-A-I-N and Company. We're on YouTube as well. Uh, we're on the Daily Wire. We released our new movie, Lady Ballers, uh, on Daily Wire. It was the number one streaming movie in America, so go check that out. We take live calls, have a live chat. And have a lot of fun, man. I, I played and coached uh, for a long time. My co-host, David Cohn, played quarterback at Michigan. My brother played wide receiver at Western Colorado. So we get down to the nuts and bolts and the nitty-gritty, but we have a lot of fun, too. Absolutely. Looking forward to hearing your show. And uh, that is it. That is our show. I want to thank uh, Jake Crane from Crane & Company for being a guest here on the Sports Beat. And I hope that everybody... Make sure that you subscribe to the show. You can download the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio. This is going up tonight on Facebook Live and on YouTube. I want to thank Jake once again, and I hope everybody has a great rest of your day, and we will talk to you tomorrow. Wishbone Fried Chicken is back in a brand new location, 31 Jackson Street, Sweet A here in Noonan. Same great taste, the best chicken around, fish dinners. Open Monday through Saturday, 10.30 a.m. to 4 p.m. Dine in, take out, it's Wishbone Fried Chicken. Right next door to their former location, bringing you the best chicken around. So great. Wishbone Fried Chicken, 31 Jackson Street, Suite A, here in Noonan. Hey sports fans, it's Rod Peterson here, host of The Rod Peterson Show, inviting you to join us daily for two hours of Atlanta's funnest sports talk right here on WQEE. I say fun because it is. You've never heard a show like it because we make the listeners a part of the show every day between noon and 2 p.m. Eastern. You'll hear plenty of the best sports talk, including the latest on the Falcons, the Braves, and more. And who knows, you might even hear you. That's the Rod Peterson Show, daily at noon, right here on WQEE 99.1 FM. Hey, sports fans. Weekdays, 3 p.m. Eastern to 5 p.m. Eastern. Drive time. WQEE. Braves Country is a southern sports talk show with Mac McGee and the Armchair Quarterbacks. That's Braves Country with Mac McGee and the Armchair Quarterbacks. Weekdays, 3 p.m. to 5 p.m., right here on WQEE 99.1 FM. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to yet another episode of the Sports Beat with Richard Holdridge, presented by Georgia Alabama Sports Live. I hope you're enjoying this Monday evening as we have got a great show for you. I've got a very special guest. He is a pioneer in the Fountain City. He has been covering sports well over 30 plus years in here in the Tri-City area. I am pleased to welcome to the Sports Beat on the show once again, Dave Plata. Dave, how have you been? Doing great, Richard. Appreciate you letting me on once again. Now, Dave, I, I couldn't think of a better person to get on the show than to uh, talk about the history of minor league baseball 
as we did receive the word a couple of weeks ago that the Mississippi Braves, the AA affiliate of the Atlanta Braves, will be calling Columbus their home in 2025. And it got me thinking, because you've covered sports here, what, since 1985? Yes, sir. So 1985, we go back to the history of minor league baseball. The last time that a double-A team was in Columbus was the Columbus Mudcats in 1990. But in your perspective, because you've covered the Mudcats, they were called the Astros before then. They were the Astros actually from 1970 to 1988. And then they make that transition to the Columbia's Indians and the White Sox and then the Red Sticks and then the final minor league team, the Columbus Catfish that left Columbus in 2008, but they were in the Sally League. And and I remember that the Sally League, it's a single A, but all the teams in Georgia, like when I first moved to Georgia, you had the Augusta Green Jackets, the Savannah Sand Nats, the Rome Braves, the Columbus Catfish. But in your opinion, just seeing the transition of minor league baseball in Columbus, how is it going to work in 2025 and, and how can we get the fans here in Columbus to support minor league baseball? Well, the, the, the history of minor league baseball in Columbus is somewhat checkered. They, a lot of teams have left. Um, the Braves coming in with the group that owns the Braves team, giving it a shot. One of the biggest things will be good promotion. Now we haven't had professional baseball here. Like you said, for almost 15 years, be 15, more than 15 years. So people should be fairly hungry for it. Whether they can get enough people to the ballpark and keep it going, that, of course, is the big question. Um, in the past, teams have left because of inadequate attendance. That goes back to before I was born. Uh, back, in the, back in the 50s, they had a team leave for Gastonia, North Carolina, when the team was in first place because nobody was showing up. On the other hand, when the, cat, or when the uh, Mudcats were here, uh, Joe Kramer was the general manager, and he had them drawn at like 125,000 folks per season. Um, John Dietrich did a great job as a promoter uh, when he came in with the Red Sticks when uh, Charlie Morrow, the late Charlie Morrow, uh, purchased a team. And John did a wonderful job teaching Charlie how to do things. And they had good attendance for that, too. It's a question of promotion more than anything else, getting people excited about coming to the ballpark, not just to see the players, but to have a good time. Oh, Dave, there's no question about that. And I, the reason why I think this is going to work is because this is a Braves affiliate. We have a lot of Atlanta Braves fans, and they could see these Braves prospects come up from the minor leagues, from single A to double A to triple A with the Gwinnett Stripers. And it's going to be different. I mean, I've been a huge fan of the Columbus Chattahoots. I'm sad to see them go, but they've really paved the way. They helped get Golden Park ready for this. And I believe the city is ready for this in 2025, but it's going to be a little bit different than going to the ballpark to see the Columbus Chattahoots. That was a Woodbat summer league for collegiate baseball that started in June and ended in July, sometimes beginning of August when they have the SBL playoffs. But this is a very long season. It starts in April and it ends in September. Do you think that Columbus is ready to see minor league baseball from April to September and just going on a random Monday night or Tuesday night at Golden Park to see the Columbus baseball team maybe take on the Montgomery Biscuits or the Biloxi Shuckers? I mean, are they ready for this? I would like to think they will be. Um, remember, the folks coming in, they've been running the team in Pearl, Mississippi, you know, the Mississippi Braves, and they've done a good job there. Part of the, the draw, of course, is for the Braves to have all their minor league teams here in the state of Georgia. So that, that you know, you brought that up. Having teams in Augusta, Rome, 
Columbus and Gwinnett, it's easier for the major league team. And you're right, fans can follow players as they move around. The double-A level of play is a very high level of play. And we haven't seen that in a very, very long time. Um, we're going to have to see how it all plays out. I think it can happen. I think it can it can work. Uh, a lot of the question, of course, will be what is the atmosphere at the ballpark going to be. Um, I'd like to see what they're using as a template uh, to fix up Golden Park and to try to revitalize the area down by the ballpark. Well, Dave, this city loves championships. I mean, we love it when the River Dragons win a Commissioner's Cup. And we were rooting for the Columbus Chattahoots and the Chattahoochee Monsters to win an SBL championship. You got to witness the Columbus Catfish win the Sally League championship in 2007 when they defeated the West Virginia Power. But do you think that when this new team comes that the goal is to win the Southern League championship? Because it seems like at the minor league level, I mean, you can't really get attached to these players because you have a really good player in double a he'll get promoted up to Gwinnett in, in a heartbeat. And so there really isn't any players that stay very long at the double a level, but it really, what do you think that the goal is to for minor league baseball here in Columbus is to win a championship or just to watch a good product It's to watch a good product because you have to remember minor league teams are there to do get the talent working for the big league ball club. And they're going to move up the ladder as they're ready for it. Now, one thing, the major league teams want their guys to win at the minor league level because winning, you know, is still an important thing to do. But they're more interested in developing a talent than necessarily winning a pennant. Winning a pennant is just like, it's you know, it's the icing on the cake. It's a cherry on top of the sundae. Um, so that's what it is. They want to develop talent. You want to teach guys how to win, though, too. It's, it's, it's kind of a fine line because – you're not going to see the number one player necessarily play every game because the backups they're trying to develop them too. Your, you know, say your uh, your best shortstop may play five games out of seven, but the guy that's behind him has got to get some play, got to get some abs. They got to get some playing time too. They got to see some innings. They got to get on the field also. There's it's it's a it's a little dance they have to do. So winning a pennant would be awesome, but it's not required. Dave, you have covered a lot of great baseball talent in this city, from Frank Thomas to Tim Hudson to Edwin Jackson, and got to cover some great moments. I mean, what was that moment like when the Columbus Catfish won the Sally League Championship in 2007? Because I know times were different in 2007. They yeah. probably didn't have the live stream or the YouTube like we have now, but you know, some of these moments, we... You were there to witness it. I mean, what was that feeling like, and, and how did the city respond to the Catfish winning a championship? Oh, folks came out. I mean, it wasn't a it, it wasn't a completely packed house, but there were a lot of folks there, and there was a lot of excitement because they won the championship at Golden Park, and that's something to be said for that, winning at home. The previous time that a Columbus team won a pennant was 1986, but they had to go to Huntsville to win that, and there was a small group. I was part of that small group. I was there shooting the game, covering the game. But there wasn't any of this speed video back or anything else. It was mostly for the next day. There was a small group there to watch the Columbus Astros win the Southern League Championship. Um, it was fun. Uh, no question about it. And seeing these guys bring it home, uh, you know, Brian Baker was on that Columbus Catfish team. Now, if you remember, Brian Baker won a pennant here with the Columbus Catfish, he won a national championship as a CSU Cougar. Those games were played in Montgomery, and he won a state championship at Golden Park 
as a well, there wasn't at Golden Park. I remember correctly. No, the, the games were not played. At, yeah, it was played at Gold Park. Brian Baker won as a Columbus Blue Devil in high school. So he won, actually won championships in Columbus for Columbus teams at all three at all three levels of the game, high school, college, and professional. So that's something to be said for that. That is definitely awesome, playing for Coach Bobby Howard and Columbus with 12 championships. It's obvious that Columbus is a baseball town. I mean, we saw the Phoenix City Little League team when go to the Little League World Series championship. They won the American championship back in 1999 with the Rasmus brothers. In 2006, we saw the Northern Little League team win the Little League World Series. And, and that team, you four years later, you, you got players like Josh Lester you know, making the high school, uh, winning a high school state championship at Columbus. I mean, so you pretty much do the math. Your Little League team, you add four years, they're going to be very good in high school baseball. I really just love the fact that we have minor league baseball here because Columbus is a baseball town. We try to cover baseball as much as we can in this city. The Columbus State baseball team does well. The CVCC baseball team does well. And I really think it's going to attract more fans that are coming to Golden Park to see this incredible product. But I really got to bring it back to just the history of minor league baseball here in Columbus. Has there been any players that you covered at the minor league level uh, in Columbus that, that made it on to the majors? Uh, anybody that we know in particular? Well, tons, of course. A lot of folks came through here. Um Oh yeah, they got a big, they got a sign out at Golden Park. Uh, players, yeah. even like Glenn Davis, uh, played at Golden Park. Sure, I mean, uh, take it all the way back. Say uh, Ken Caminiti came through here with the Columbus Astros. He won to win a National League MVP in 1996 with the uh, uh, San Diego Padres. Um, there, I mean, uh, Tuffy Rhodes, outfielder with the Columbus uh, with the Columbus Astros, Mudcats. He wound up playing for the uh, uh, Colum- uh, Chicago uh, Cubs. He hit three home runs on an opening day one year. Um, the the number of players who come through here and done well. Matt Kemp was a member of the uh, Catfish. Uh, you've got all kinds of red sticks uh, like Einar Diaz played for like ten years. Russell Branion played for like nine different teams. Russell Branion grew up in Macon, played for the uh, for the Red Sticks, and he had a big year. The year that the uh, the Red Sticks got stuck out at CSU, he. Had, Hit like thirty plus homers, led the league in homers that year. Um, just just a number of great players that come through here. You're gonna see great talent. That's just all there's to it. Uh, that's the best part about it. You get to see these guys up and coming. Uh, watching the guys from the other teams too. Andrew Jones came through here uh, in, in as a Sally League player. Um, he hit like three home runs in two nights. He made a bunch of incredible catches. And uh, just. Just keep that in mind. You're seeing these guys on the rise. Dave, I, I want to talk about the team that's coming to Columbus in 2025. They're going to be joining the Southern League with, I believe their their rival is going to be the Montgomery Biscuits. I mean, they're only an hour and a half away. You got the Rocket City Trash Pandas, the Biloxi Shuckers, the Pensacola Blue Wahoos, and not to mention all the teams up in the north like the Tennessee Smokies. I mean, I'm familiar with the Southern League, Dave, because right out of college I worked for the West Tennessee Diamond Jacks, which no longer exist. They were in the Southern League uh, with all those teams. And so I know how competitive AA baseball can be. We see it over in the Eastern League, in the in the Northwest, and we also see it in the Texas League. You know, I'm familiar with the Arkansas Travelers. I mean, so AA is really a great product. It, it also invites the opportunity 
especially Golden Park could host the AA All-Star Game in the future as well. It's going to bring revenue to the city. I believe it's going to attract fans that would normally not go to the ballpark. Uh, but I'm excited 2025 minor league baseball coming to the Fountain City. Yeah, it should be it should be great. Um we'll see who the Braves send here. Um I mean the Braves have got a great farm system. We're going to see some big time talent coming through. Um the coaches and such too. <laughs> You're going to see a manager and players that you'll be familiar with because most of these guys have played in the major leagues. One year when the Columbus Catfish were here, the hitting instructor was Gary Ingram who played yeah. Years with the Los Angeles Dodgers, hit a home run in his first major league at bat. As a matter of fact, um, he won a national championship when he was in junior college ball at Middle Georgia. And oh yeah, uh, he went to Columbus High. And he had a, I think his senior hit like 492. That may still be a record for CS for Columbus High uh, baseball. Um, so, and he was a, he was the hitting coach. You're going to see guys you know coming through. And there'll be players you've heard of uh, teaching these guys how to play the game. And also remember at double A, these guys are advanced too. They're just two steps away. We've had players go straight from double A to the big leagues. Uh, a couple of guys did it. Ken Caminiti did it. Jeff Baldwin did it too. Um, so you're seeing guys that are on the cusp of making the show. Well, Dave, it really has been great talking minor league baseball with you. I've always appreciated you coming on uh, my show and really just strolling down memory lane, talking about the history of Columbus. I mean, I'm a historian. I've only lived in Columbus since 2015, but we've had a lot of incredible moments, and you've covered a lot of incredible moments, and a lot of them dealt with baseball, especially when you were covering Frank Thomas while he was at Auburn and you know, probably one of the greatest players it to ever come out of the Fountain City. And, and and here's the thing, Dave. I'm hoping that Frank Thomas can come back in 2025 and throw out the first pitch at the first game in uh, Golden Park for the double-A team. That would be interesting. It depends what he's been doing with the White Sox. And if you remember, he's been working White Sox telecasts. Right. It would be great if they could get him to come back. By the way, one other thing to remember about managers, um, Tori Lovello managed here. And I believe he had a pretty good season last year, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> Taking the Diamondbacks <laughs> of the World Series. so Not bad. <laughs> got service managing the uh, Mariners. He played here as a catcher. Um, you've got David Bell. He played here. I do uh, remember him. Yeah, there's four or five major league managers with Columbus, with Columbus ties. And that's just currently. The number of guys that come through, Eric Wedge, um, Jeff Skinner, uh, the list goes on. So... The talent coming through is not just man, is not just players, but managers and coaches on their way up to the show too, because they want to get back to the big leagues as well. So it it can be very exciting out at Golden Park, and we'll see what they do about fixing the ballpark up, adding amenities around the stadium and everything else to draw in people, so there'll be more than just baseball. You get people here not necessarily for baseball to start with, and then they get sucked into the game, and suddenly you've got folks coming back night after night. That's what they have to do, and we'll we'll see if it come, and we'll see if they can make it happen. And I do feel like if they use it for other events like high school baseball tournaments, it, it will also generate more revenue. But I also was looking at the dimensions of Golden Park and the capacity of the seating, and comparing it to the Double A teams in the Southern League. 
I feel that they're going to have to add 2,000 more seats because it looks like on a good night you could fit 4,000 people in Golden Park, but a lot of these AA minor league ballparks average about 6,000, even into the echelon of 8,000 fans. I mean, highly unlikely that we're going to get 8,000 fans to a minor league game, but we, we also got to make sure that the stadium is in with st- standing of the, the teams in the AA so we can keep up with them. There's a lot of structural improvements that need to be made. The list is really, really long, and it's it's well it's it's going to be well over a million dollars because you got to fix the outfield fence. which has got some structural problems. You got to redo the drainage. You've got to fix up the concession stands. The seating needs to be worked on. It needs an entire makeover, and this is a very big project that's going to take a lot of work, and. They're going to have to be really dedicated to make this happen. They're going to have to do it quickly. You're looking at trying to do something so they can play in about 15 months. There's a lot of stuff that needs to be done and needs to be done quickly. and needs to be done very well. The last time they redid it, uh, there were some problems. Well, and then the last time that they fit that many fans, uh, you remember back 1996, the mm-hmm. USA women's softball team. Remember seeing the highlights. The United States won the gold medal. Lisa Fernandez, we talked about just an incredible team with Laura Berg, Jillian Box, uh, Michelle Granger, uh, Dot Richardson, Julie Smith. They won the gold medal over China, but I remember seeing the fans out in the outfield. They had those extra seats, and uh, I know that uh, I had you on the podcast before a couple years ago talking about because it was an NBC owned the rights to the Olympics that that you couldn't be in, in the stadium, but you could only be in the parking lot, but... Uh, you were still covering the event. I mean, that had to have been a, just a, a great atmosphere to have softball here in Columbus from the Olympics, and it really put the city of Columbus, like, as far as softball goes on the map. I mean, you got the NAIA World Series being held here, and so I think that was a great moment in Columbus sports history. And in my mind, it's probably the greatest moment on Columbus soil as far as sports moments in history. Yeah, it was pretty wild because – um, the way that it was covered by the networks, NBC only had one channel. I mean, it's not like now where, every, you know, there's like 70 different things. You can do live streaming and everything else. There was one place to get it. They gave softball two and a half minutes total, <sighs> and it was done about an hour and a half after the game was over. I actually announced who won the game before anybody else did. Out the park <laughs> because I could, see, I could see the scoreboard. I had traveled with the team a couple months earlier. They did a a tour in Oklahoma. I went to Tulsa and went to Oklahoma City for the, uh, uh, you know, at the big stadium at Oak City. And so I knew who everybody was. And back at the station, uh, there was a satellite. uh, One of the satellite feeds had the first base camera for uh, the CBC. The CBC was doing it so we could see who was rounding first base. So from listening, seeing the scoreboard and people telling me, Oh, it's a base hit. They just rounded first, or it's a double. I knew it was going on. So in between innings, I was doing updates. Bottom of the first, so-and-so, you know, whatever happened, I was able to do that. And I actually announced who won the game before NBC even got around to it. That was incredible. Uh, Dave, I want to thank you so much just for taking time and uh, being on the sports beat and uh, talking a little bit history of minor league baseball and just talking about how much – Baseball means to this community just with all the great teams, all the great moments in this city. I couldn't think of a better city 
And the second largest city in the state of Georgia, by the way, when it comes to population, we're just counting just city alone, uh, well-deserving of a minor league team, and I cannot wait till 2025. Yeah, if we've been talking history. There's still history to be made. Let's yes. make some good history. How's that? Let's, let's make some good history, absolutely. Dave Plata, everybody, uh, before I let you go, Dave, uh, how can people see your stuff? Like, Because you're still doing stuff for Fox 54. Uh, you just got finished. Uh, with high school football Friday Night Lights, which, by the way, was fantastic. I look forward to watching that Friday Night Lights uh, scoreboard show. It was incredible. You're also the voice of the Pacelli Vikings. I mean, you do a lot for this community, and you still are just very active in this community. I, I just love talking sports with you as well. I appreciate it. Right now, it's kind of a dead period for me. There'll be other things coming on. It'll be, you know, catch as catch can as I, uh, as I get a chance to do a few different things. I've got a website, dayplata.com. I'm going. I'm doing a real makeover on it. I'm going to end up putting up some old videos from there from the past. Uh, there's a few available now, and I got a you. You know, it's on YouTube. But I got a lot more I got to do. I got to get the time where I can uh, break some of this stuff off. Some of these old stories that I did. I was back at looking at some of them, going, ah, "That was fun." So uh, there'll be stuff added to it. Uh, I'll be putting posts on uh, Twitter and Facebook in a couple three weeks when I start getting things in order for that. I can't wait for that. And by the way, I want to give a shameless plug to your son, who I worked with him. Uh, he was one of the people on Viking Live, and I've gotten to know him. Outstanding producer. I'm talking Drew Plata. He he knows what he's doing. I mean, he's really a chip off the old block. He knows broadcasting. And I, I know you, you probably ask him if he's ever wanted to be an on-air personality. I know he, he, he just loves the production side, and, and I think he's doing an amazing job. He's very gifted at the production side. He's a great director and uh, builds a lot. Built a lot of the graphics for this. Working with Jeremy Hayes, who's the uh, uh, the media instructor at Pacelli. The two of them were doing all kinds of cool stuff graphically and visually and everything else. And it was always it's it's fun working with him because I worked with him for like ten years uh, before he went back to Channel Three. He works at Channel Three now. He's uh, their graphics guy and their uh, uh, special projects photographer producer, and uh, you know it was, it was fun. It's fun working with them. Absolutely, uh, that is great. <laughs> when you can work with your son and doing something you love, and and your son loves the thing, same thing that you do, it it's absolutely incredible. And uh, thank you so much, Dave, for being on the show and really just going back in time and just talking about the history of Columbus sports. I, I always enjoy talking with you and talking sports here on the sports beat and i would love to get you back on at any time you want hey i'm available buddy and richard thank you for having me on again absolutely that was dave plata a staple here in columbus been covering broadcasting since 1985 and one of the best to do it and hall of famer from last year in the chattahoochee valley sports hall of fame so he's one of the best that's it that's our show Thank you so much for tuning to the Sports Beat late tonight. Uh, we'll see you tomorrow. Have a great night, everybody. Help protect your family from flu this season by taking three easy steps. First, get yourself and your family a flu shot. It's quick and can protect you all season. Second, take everyday actions to help prevent the spread of germs like flu. Cover your cough, stay home from work or school if you're sick, and wash your hands often. Third, there are drugs that can treat flu illness. These work best when started early. Learn more at cdc.gov slash fight flu. At Jersey Mike's, 
they slice your order fresh, right in front of you. And let me tell you, watching that can send a rush of emotions through a person. Excitement, impatience, baby-like wonder, indecisive, anticipatory chewing, nervous pacing, happy claps, and finally, jealousy. Because that's this guy's sub. I should order one. Good idea. Sliced right in front of you. The Jersey Mike's thing. A sub above. You've been listening to another episode of the Sports Beat with Richard Holdridge presented by Georgia Alabama Sports Live. You can catch an episode daily on WQEE 99.1 FM, the key, Monday through Friday from 2 to 3 p.m. This is a podcast that covers local sports to the Chattahoochee Valley. If you would like to catch a replay of the show, you can download an episode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcasts. And I hope you have a great rest of your day.